Hi, my name is Jamie, and today you're listening to the Blackheart College Basketball Podcast, presented by the sports team. Today we will be discussing a wide range of topics, such as who is the GOAT and who are our favourites for the major awards. We'll also have our own Eric Brandt interviewing Barry Drum of UCD Marion in the Irish Super League. Well, first things first, let's get to our weekend sports roundup from Tom Cherico. Thanks, Jamie. We will start with the Six Nations. The Six Nations title race will go down to the final match after France beat Wales 32-30 in Paris. A late try denied Wales a grand slam, so the result of France's rescheduled match against Scotland on Friday will determine who lifts the trophy. France need a four-try bonus point and a winning margin of at least 21 points to overhaul Wales at the top of the table and win their first championship title in more than a decade. If they don't do that, Wales will be the Six Nations champion for the second time in three years. In other Super, in other super Saturday fixtures, Scotland were, were comfortable 52-10 to 10 victors over Italy, while Ireland beat England 32-18. to 18. In the football world, with no Premier League games this weekend, the stage is set in the FA Cup competition this year. The, semi, the semi-final fixtures include grueling battles between City versus Chelsea and on the other side, Leicester versus Southampton. An exquisite game developed between City and Everton in the quarterfinal with City, with City leaving it late to beat Everton with, it, with Ilkay Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne finding the net in the final six minutes, minutes at Goodison Park. On the international side, the start of the 22 World Cup qualifiers has the likes of England, France, Italy, Belgium, and Portugal all getting their campaigns underway with interesting fixtures. Games include Neville... Games include the Netherlands versus Turkey, France versus Ukraine, Belgium versus Wales, and England versus Poland. Finally, back to basketball. In the March Madness tournament, the opening weekend of the NCAA competition was littered with upsets and dramatic finishes. Between number 15 seed Oral Roberts, number 12 seed Oregon State, and number 11 seed UCLA and Syracuse, the four double digit seed teams in the Sweet 16 came too shy of the NCAA term- tournament record of six. Though there were plenty of upsets, it wasn't all just madness. Three of the four number one seeds advanced to the second weekend with only a Midwest region number one seed, Illinois, ducking out after round two, after round two defeat at the hands of Wyola, Chicago. Michigan and Gonzaga are the top seeds in the East and West regions, respect, respectively, and both came over, both overcame deficits on Monday to, to secure Sweet 16 spots. In other news, this year's Rookie of the Year frontrunner, LaMelo Ball, was out for the season with a broken wrist. And last year's champions, the LA Lakers, fall again in the power rankings with superstars Anthony Davis and LeBron James injured, injured indefinitely. And the race for MVP is starting to heat up with teams pushing for a top spot in their conference. That's all for today. Back to you, Jamie. Thank you, Tom. Now we can go to Connor and Josh, who will tell us about the important upcoming games in the next three weeks of the NBA schedule. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, from On Friday, 26th of March, we have Lakers versus 76ers at 2 in the morning. Both great teams without their MVP uh, candidates due to injury. This will be a tough battle. The 76ers will look to maintain their hashtag one seed while the Lakers are trying to keep home court advantage for the playoffs. Uh, on Friday, 26th of March, again at 11.30 p.m., uh, we have the Bucks versus Celtics. Uh, Both top teams in the East with a fierce rivalry from over the years. Uh, On Saturday, 27th of March at uh, 2.30 a.m., 
we have the Lakers versus Cavaliers. In their last matchup, LeBron carried the Lakers to the win against his former team. However, without him, this should be a much closer game. On Sunday, 28th of March at midnight, we have the Bucks versus the Knicks. Bucks have great players and are one of my top contenders for the title win. I won't be shocked if they get to the top. However, the Knicks have been great in the, in recent weeks. Uh, again, on Sunday, 28th of March at 3 uh, a.m., we have Clippers versus 76ers. Two of the biggest contenders in the NBA will go at it in this game with 76ers coach Doc Rivers going against his former team for the first time since they parted ways. On Tuesday, 30th of March at uh, 12.30 a.m., we have the Knicks versus Heat. Heat got uh, Heat have gotten some form recently and are only moving up while the Knicks uh, look to hold their playoff spot. On 30th of March at 2 a.m., we have the we have Cavaliers versus Jazz. Two incredible teams with great players. Excited to see this match play out. On 30th of March at 3 a.m., we have Clippers versus Bucks. The Clippers play against uh, another contender in the books. This should be a great matchup. On 31st of March at 2 in the morning, we have the Nuggets versus 76ers. Two powerful teams this season, good defense-wise and offense-wise. On the 1st of April at 3 a.m., we have the Lakers versus Bucks. Two favorite teams to win. And as I said, LeBron most likely won't be back for a while, which does give Lakers a disadvantage going in into some of these more difficult matchups. To be honest, we'll be sure to feast. Uh, on 2nd of April at midnight, the Cavaliers will go up against the 76ers. Another interesting matchup between two powerful teams. On the 3rd of April at half 12 in the morning, we have the Rockets versus Celtics. Rockets are an uh, unpredictable team with some great world-class players. This will be a great matchup for sure. And lastly, we have the Clippers versus Lakers on the 4th of April at 8.30 p.m. Both top five teams at the moment and maybe a bigger chance for the Clippers to pull off a win this time. Anthony Davis will hope to be back for this game. Back to you, Jamie. Thank you, Connor. And now... On to Josh for the next one and a half weeks. Thank you, Jamie. Um, on the 6th of uh, April, Sixers are playing the Celtics. This will be a good matchup between MVP candidate Joel Embiid and the young Celtics star Jason Tatum. On the same day, the Bucks will be playing the Warriors. The reigning back-to-back MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo will be playing against former back-to-back MVP Stephen Curry. Then the Trail Bears will be playing the Clippers. MVP candidate Demi Leonard and his fellow guard CJ McCullen will be up against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. On the 7th of April, the New York Knicks will be playing the Celtics. The Knicks have a very surprisingly good season led by first-team all-star Julius Randle against the disappointing Celtics this season and their two all-stars Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Later on that night, the Utah Jazz will be taking on the Phoenix Suns. This will be a very exciting as it is the top, two top-seeded teams in the West uh, Western Conference facing each other. On the 8th, the Lakers, the Lakers will be facing the Miami Heat. 
This will be a replay of the finals last season. Other notable matches will be the Bucks against the Mavs. Reigning MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, Giannis Antetokounmpo will lead the Bucks and Luka Doncic for the Mavs. The Trailblazers against the Jazz. MVP candidate Damian Leonard will take on the first seed Jazz. And the Phoenix Suns will face the LA Clippers. There are now very notable matches on the 9th of April. However, on the 10th of April, LeBron James, uh, the Le- LeBron James led Lakers are up against the super team Brooklyn Nets. They have tw- two former MVPs and two more former M- NBA champions. On the 11th, the, Cel- the Celtics are facing the Denver Nuggets. This will be a very exciting matchup between two teams with young star duos. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for the Celtics, Nikola Jogic and Jamal Murray for the Nets, for the Nuggets, sorry. Later, the Heat are up against the Trailblazers. MVP candidate Demian Lillard will be facing Jimmy Butler, who has been rising a bit in this year's MVP conversation. On the 12th, the Lakers will be facing the Knicks. This is a matchup between reigning NBA champions LA Lakers and the New York Knicks, who have been playing a lot better than ever in fact. On the 13th, the Heat are up against the Suns. This is a matchup between two top four teams in their respective conferences. On the 14th, the Nets are facing the Sixers. This is a matchup between two top-seeded teams in the Eastern Conference. The Heat are up against the Jazz. Sorry, up against the Nuggets. This will be an exciting matchup between the fourth-seeded East and the fifth-seeded West. Uh, on the 15th, the, the third-seed Bucks. We'll be taking on the fifth seed Hawks. The Bucks are led by Giannis Antetokounmpo, reigning MVP and also gaining MVP. Trey Young leads the Hawks, who is an all-star snub this season. Later that night, the Celtics are up against the Lakers, a game between the Eastern Conference runners up and Celtics and the NBA Jamie's Lakers. That's all. Uh, thank you, Josh. We'll be sure to try and watch these games. So now on to the official Blackrock College GOAT debate between Tom Cherico and Luke Brophy. So first things first, who are your GOATs? Uh, for me, I think Michael Jordan is the GOAT. Uh, he always has been, in my opinion. And I think, I think LeBron James is, quite, is still quite a bit off uh, the level that Michael Jordan reached during his career. So that's, that's why he's, he's uh, the GOAT for me anyway. You know, now, Brophy, I, I agree with you. Michael Jordan's a very good player. However, I do not believe he's the GOAT uh, due to a number of factors, including I don't think he was the best team player. Uh, he's often known for being a little bit mad in the head and not being able to pass the ball, which LeBron is a much better team player. And uh, I know you may say that, you know, 6-0. I mean, if, if I was in your place every every 10 seconds, I would say 6-0. But um, Brown can play every position on the floor. He has more points. He has no. He has more rebounds and assists than Jordan already, and he hasn't even retired. Uh, he he makes everybody better. Around. I mean, Jordan does that too. That's not a good point. Um, when uh, when Jordan left the Bulls, the Bulls went. The Bulls didn't make the playoffs that year. I'm pretty sure they had they had 20 wins. Whereas when the Cavs left, uh, they actually went to the playoffs this year, which means. LeBron helps everybody improve around him, and the Bulls just relied on Jordan. That's it. So even and basketball is a team game, so you got to have a team. This, this, that. So that's basically that. Those are my main reasons why I think uh, LeBron James is is the goat. So Tom, you said uh, James has more more assists and I think rebounds than Jordan, but 
Jordan has two more championships. He has two more finals MVPs. Uh, he's a 14 time. Oh no. He is nine time defensive player of the year. James only six times. So I think like LeBron's career isn't over yet. He gets that's a fair that. point, but he's getting old now. He's getting old. He's getting ready to retire. Like you can see it. His stamina is just—he's not as good as he was a couple of years ago. You might say he is, but how come they won the championship last year? Then, well, he had a good team around him, didn't he? Brophy, I also want to bring it into the um, how how LeBron has adapted to a league which has gone from mostly bigs in the paint and a lot of posting up to the shooting the three ball. Could Jordan shoot the three ball? No, he, he couldn't. And he relied on one part of his game, which is getting to the basket and hitting the mid-range. LeBron can do everything. LeBron can hit the three ball. LeBron can get to the basket. LeBron can hit the mid-range. LeBron, and LeBron is statistically more efficient in, in the clutch. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Okay, well, you say LeBron can hit the three ball. Maybe he hits a three every so often, but he's really just not as good as some of the other players in the league. And you can't really say that's a reason why he's better than MJ. Like, he's hit a couple, fair enough, but, like, you know, like you said, you also said Michael Jordan, he was in a league with uh, more bigs and stuff, but that's what he was good at. He was he was good at that physical game, and he was able to get to the basket and get those points. That's what I'm think... saying. The league was different back then. Exactly, now. but I don't think... And it's harder now. This. It's much harder now, in my opinion. I, you have to do I so much more than just get to the basket and post them against bigs. Well, I think yeah. that's still a difficult thing to do. And, like, LeBron wouldn't be able to do that. He's just not as, you know, like, he's just, he's looking for fouls all the time and stuff. Like, he he wouldn't be capable of the physical league. Do you know the amount of and once Jordan has gotten his entire career? Let me look this up. The amount of and once. Actually, I probably don't need to look it up. It's, it's probably even more LeBron right now. And uh, no, I don't think so. I, I uh, think it is. You know, you say, like... You said, like, uh, Michael Jordan, he he had a good team around him or something like that. I don't know. But he's led the, he led the NBA in scoring 10 times. How many times has LeBron done that? He's done it once. He, LeBron needs good players around him to do well. Otherwise, he can't carry a team on his own. See, that's the thing is, I like, I like where you're coming with that. But I, I, I keep on talking about this. Basketball is a team game. It's not a one-man sport. You can't. You can't just rely on one. But even if you got Michael Jordan and let's say, I'll take a shot. Who's someone really bad? And four Alex Carusos. Yeah. You put them on the same team, and you put LeBron with the team he's on. Now LeBron wins because it's a team game. You can't just rely on Jordan for everything. I mean, you you know the um the world renowned uh the world renowned three ball that Steve Kerr had in what was it the nineteen. Some, one of the 1970s finals. Are you going to say that um, Jordan... It, I, I know most people think that Jordan is the best player of all time. And I think I think it's a very, very close margin. However, I do believe LeBron, and mainly as I will want to bring it back to it, that basketball routine sport. I know I keep on talking about it, but it, it's why I love basketball. I mean, it's a team sport. It's not a one-man sport. Jordan thinks about it as a one-man sport. LeBron thinks it as a team sport, makes others around him better. Jordan doesn't really make him others around. The only reason, the only way he makes others around him better is by winning for them. So, 
Okay, that, well, that, 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 that's my view. Yeah, you say it's a it's a team sport, all right, whatever. But we're not here talking about the greatest teams of all time, are we, Tom? We're talking about the greatest basketball player of all time, and I don't see how it's not Michael Jordan. Okay, look, let me just give you something here. In the nineteen eighty seven to eighty eight season, Michael Jordan he led the led the league in scoring with thirty five points a game. He he got Defensive Player of the Year and won MVP. He also played all eighty two games that season. That was only his fourth season in the NBA. You also know a stat I want to talk about. Just backing it up. LeBron's played ninety three percent of all minutes is in, in his entire career that he could have. So if you're going to talk something about eighty two games. There's a stack. But continue. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that okay. That's a fair, fair enough point. But uh, also, just to finish on that, only three guards have ever been named uh, depend, defensive player of the year: Sidney Moncrief, Gary Payton, and then obviously Michael Jordan. Like that's he's. You say he can't play every position, but he's clearly versatile. He's able to attack, defend. He can. He he was able to do a lot for his team. I'm I'm not saying that I I'm saying that he can't play every position. I'm not saying that he can't defend. I obviously know how good a defender he is. I I want to do. So what what you're saying is wrong. Boom. <laughs> I don't I don't think you can just say it's wrong. But no, because whatever. If, if we, okay. I have another stat. Okay, like there's I don't see there's not many stats that show that James is better than. Uh, Jordan, but anyway, here let me show you this. So I found this stat of all like uh, trophies and stuff you can win, like MVPs, Rookie of the Year, championships, Finals MVPs, like accolades, all the awards yes, you can, all the accolades you can get. Yeah, yeah. Michael Jordan has twice as many as uh, LeBron James with twenty-two. LeBron James has eleven. I know, but I like it's LeBron. LeBron doesn't want to win it for the accolades. LeBron, LeBron is fine with someone else winning it, as long as he gets the ultimate goal of winning a championship, which he has. Was it Jordan has six? LeBron yeah. has four right now, right? Yeah, he's four and six. He's lost he's, six against against possibly one of the greatest teams of all time. I wanted to bring that up. Sixty-three and nine. Sixty-three and nine, and he beat him. Yeah, but Jordan if, six if, and out. So, if our listeners don't understand that, that's the 2016 Warriors team who have the best record in NBA history. They were definitely a great team. And LeBron had to play yeah. against them. And and they uh, beat the record of Jordan's team, which was 72 and 10. The Warriors went 73 and 9 in 2016, which beat the record of Jordan's team, which went 72 and 10. Okay, but they're very like similar stats. Like you can't really say that, but they won a couple more games, or whatever. Like. They they had a great team with great players, but uh, Michael Jordan he like he did it with a not as good of a team, you could say. I mean maybe like Scottie Pippen and stuff like they were helping him out, but he did a lot for his team, and that's why he's the goat. Like um, you really gonna say Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen are bad players? Well, not bad players, you know, but like Dennis know, Rodman is by far the best all-time rebounder of all time ever to play the game. Yeah, best but rebounds poster. don't win championships. He put everything on the defense. It rebounds didn't matter do, if he didn't win. It did win. Rebounds do win championships. Nah, nah, nah. And they do. Dennis Rodman win multiple Michael championships Jordan. by getting rebounds. Oh. 
Uh, and Luke, you brought up the point earlier on um, Michael Jordan being a better defender and being one of only guards, one of the only guards to win Defensive Player of the Year. But back then, there was no zone defense, so everything was one on one along the perimeter, pretty much. So that meant it was much easier for guards. Nowadays, if you're kind of defending on the perimeter, it's nearly impossible. You have to be kind of like a help player. You need to be a big man to win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's just how the league changes and. You know, players just haven't adapted to that like Michael Jordan was able to. Well, um, I think that's been very informative argument. I think we're going to head back to Jamie. No, I actually have one more thing to say, actually, Tom. You got one more thing to say? Okay. Yeah, okay. You said, like, Michael Jordan, he was 31 years old. He He went to play baseball for a year. He hadn't played since high school. It's not like he was bad. He did well. He came back and won what, like three championships? I know, but his team didn't change. His team was the exact same team that was when he left. It's not better. I mean, they got rid of who was it, Robert Packer and Steve Kerr, who was a much younger guard at that time, and better guard, uh, in my opinion. So, if anything, his team improved. They didn't. They don't fall down in what sort. They didn't go down in quality or play or or player um performance wise okay well you know maybe maybe i can say that lebron james is nearly as good as michael jordan if he wins a championship this year against the Nets super team but i don't think that's going to happen and that's why he's just i, not I don't think it's going to happen either i'm going to be perfectly honest if he did it like maybe he gets to to uh third on the goat list behind uh steph curry but <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. All right. Uh, well, Luke, that, that was that was a very good argument. I think we're going to head back to Jamie. Yeah, well, uh, thank thank you for both your arguments. Now we'll go to Eric and his interview with Barry Drum. Uh, my name is Eric Brads, and today I'm interviewing Barry Drum, who is a Super League player in Ireland. So, um, Barry, could you talk a little bit about yourself? Barry, as you said, I play basketball for UCD Marion. I've been playing basketball for Marion uh, for the last 23 years now. Uh, I've played for two years in Belfast because I was studying a master's up there. And other than that, I've been involved in the club, playing, coaching, refing, doing table, whatever job needs done, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, as a part of UCD Marion, um, I'm also a teacher working in Marion College. And uh, I am best friends with the famous Black Rock College teacher, Shane McGlynn, a.k.a. Mr. McGlynn. Nice. Um, so uh, did you always stay with uh, UCD Marion when you were growing up and developing your basketball skills? Uh, yes, I started playing for UCD Marion when I was 10 years old. I played under 11. My first game was in Marion College. Or sorry, my first game was in St. Vincent in against Colester. Uh, I scored four points. We lost by one point. And since then, all the way up to all through underage, I played with Marion. And then I only left after I finished my degree. I did a degree in UCD. And then I got a opportunity to study a master's in Belfast. So I went up there for two years. That was the only time where I wasn't playing for UCD, Marion. All right, great. Um... So, what was the transition like for you from uh, the club basketball into the into the Super League? 
Um, I suppose it was a kind of a slow, a slow process because for a few years you're you're on the the fringes of the squad, um, but you're you're kind of struggling to to get into the team and stuff. And also, you might even not be able to make all the practices because of your own underage commitment. Uh, so sometimes it does take a while to, to break into the team, especially when you've got uh, established players there already. I mean, I was playing. Uh, Kevin Meaney was there, the likes of Barry Glover, Gary Edge, all those guys were there. And, um, you know, they were kind of established, very good players at the time. And it was, I wasn't really good enough to take their place. So it did take a few years before I kind of uh, considered myself a uh, a Super League, a proper Super League player, as opposed to someone that was just kind of on the fringes of the squad, warming the bench at games and uh, being a practice player, essentially. And, um, how do you think like Irish basketball as a whole has sort of developed over the years and from when you joined to where it is today? Uh, I suppose that's a tricky one because back in the day when I used to go and watch Super League games, there used to be huge crowds at games, uh, a lot of excitement with you know multiple Americans being there and stuff like that, whereas they changed the rules to only one American and over the years, I suppose, the, the attendance at games has kind of fluctuated up and down. Um, I think uh, I actually think that Mary Maguire, when she worked in Boston, Learn, did a great job of starting to kind of re-promote the game again and use social social media. Um, and she started things like streaming Super League games, which was a great way of promoting the game. Um, I'd be a little bit concerned at the moment what the COVID implications will be on the sport in Ireland. Um, considering that it's an indoor sport and um, we obviously couldn't have a season this year, I would hope that that won't cause any uh, any long-term effects and people leaving the game, uh, which I think basketball Ireland needs to be very careful about and make sure that they they kind of encourage as many people as possible to take up the game again because uh, it would be concerning going forward that uh, with the loss of a season and um, what the impact that might have uh, negatively what negative impact that might have on the, the sport going forward. And do you think that's sort of like the COVID break, do you think that's more exclusive to basketball or like all sports as a whole? Uh, I think that it is exclusive to amateur sports. So uh, not including the gas. Uh, so obviously soccer is still going on. Rugby is still going on. And uh, senior inter-county Gaelic is still, and hurling is still going on. Um, I think, they are going on because, number one, they're elite sports, but also because they're televised sports, they provide an outlet for the rest of the country um, for people to watch those things. Whereas, unfortunately, for basketball, we're not quite at the level of those sports yet where we uh, garner as much interest uh, with the public to be shown on TV and to give ourselves kind of that elite status. Uh, I think those sports, obviously, the guy, the guy is not professional but the other sports that are professional and um, it just means that basketball is kind of going to fall behind those sports because we don't have the infrastructure or the money uh, in place to uh, I suppose to get ourselves get ourselves out there and get seen and get, uh, get viewed by as many people as those other sports and uh, what do you think basketball Ireland can really do about that like um you mentioned the the different um like more 
more developed sports like soccer or whatever have at the higher level, they have the go-ahead to play. Do you think the Super League should have that go-ahead as well or not? Uh, I mean, personally, I would love if the Super League was on that level because obviously I'm a, I'm a play in the Super League, so I'd love to get to that stage. Um, unfortunately, that's, uh, that's something that we're a small country uh, of whatever, four or five million people. Our main sports are rugby, soccer and Gaelic. I think it's a very difficult uh, sector or industry, if you want to call it that, for basketball to break into. Um, I don't think it's an overnight fix. The way I would try and do it if I was involved, uh, or if I was involved in basketball, is start at the bottom with kids and work our way up. Um, because I don't think you're going to change Super League overnight. But if you start getting a better interest in the sport and get into the primary schools and get more people involved from a younger age, hopefully then in a generation's time you would have more people wanting to watch the game, wanting to play the game, wanting to be involved in the game. And it's just at the moment where we're behind those other sports. And it's very difficult to compete with the likes of, say, the rugby, who have had huge uh, international success over the last few years uh, with um, you know, Leinster winning European Cups and Ireland winning Six Nations Cups and having the TV coverage and media coverage that they have, it's very difficult to compete with that as a, as a basketball uh, community. Of course. And um, what do you think of the sort of overseas opportunity for players in Ireland? Like, do you think any players have the opportunity to go abroad and play or, uh, or not? Um, yeah, there definitely is the opportunities to go abroad and play if players want to do it. Um, you know, you can go, I mean, I'm not talking about going to the NBA, I'm talking about going to, to European, uh, yeah. <clears throat> European countries and playing overseas in, in, in Europe. Um, I mean, even you're saying Euroleague, like you wouldn't even get to Euroleague if you had kind of like lower, France lower or Greece. Yeah. Yeah. The only, the only thing I would say about that is that, you know, you go over there and you play for a year and you make, you don't make much money. You're in a foreign country, different language, and you know your friends aren't around. Just stuff like that. I don't know if it is all it's cracked up to be. And um, maybe some people they really want to do it. I I would be more of the opinion that if you're not going to be making a huge career in basketball, maybe stay and get an education, get a college education, and um, you know maybe get your your foot on the career ladder uh, earlier. I just I don't know how beneficial it is to go away and play uh, for a very small fee for a number of years. Um, there are obviously some players that are that are very talented players that play at higher levels and get make more money. Uh, but again, you know your basketball career is not going to last forever. So I would always say you kind of need to have a plan B as to what you're going to do when you're when you don't stop playing basketball as well. Of course. Um. So. Honestly, I think that, that pretty much wraps it up. It's uh, It's been great to have you on our show. And uh, if you want to listen to it and uh, everyone in UCD Marion who wants to listen to the video and the school as well, it will be up on the Rockcast Spotify. So uh, thank you very much, Barry. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. You provided great insight into the game. Now I'll go over my top 15 teams in the NBA. These are my power rankings. So, at number 15, I have the Memphis Grizzlies. 
So the Grizzlies struggled near the start of the season because of COVID and the injury to Jamarat. But recently, they have picked up form. Jazz seem to have fully recovered from his ankle injury, and the Grizzlies are succeeding because of it. The gritty nature of this team is equating to wins, and the young team will look to get into the playoffs this season. The Warriors have been average in their last 10, with Andrew Wiggins having multiple big games, scoring 40 against the Grizzlies on Friday night. While showing some bright spots, the team is too reliant on Stephen Curry and often struggles to compete against the top teams. The Warriors are 10-17 against teams above 500, the worst of the top 10 teams in the West. The Spurs are at 13. An underdog coming into the season, the All-Star-less Spurs had defied all expectations and have a great record. DeMar DeRozan has taken on a new role in the team and DeJounte Murray has taken another step. The above-average defence and the super coaching has made the Spurs a solid playoff team, although their lack of superstar talent sometimes hurts them. At number 12, I have the Miami Heat. They had a very rough start to the season without Jimmy Butler, but now that he's back, the Heat are back to winning ways at 6-4 and four in the last 10. They are gritty and clamp up in defence. Don't be surprised if the Heat make a push in the second half of the season. However, they will need to acquire pieces at the trade deadline. At 11, I have the Blazers. No CJ, no Nurkic for the majority of the season, and the Blazers still have a great record. That man, Dame Dalla, has been playing out of his boots, leading the league in pretty much every clutch metric. The countless game winners are a spectacle to watch. With CJ back now, it'll be interesting to watch what the Blazers can do. They're definitely a team to watch out for. However, their blowout loss to the Maverick, Mavericks lowers their ranking. At number 10, I have the Atlanta Hawks. So the team is 8-2 and two since the acquisition of Nate McMillan as head coach. He has brought new life into this Hawks squad, with Trey Young coming back to his form since his early season slump, and McMillan's impact on the usually poor defence. Soon, they should be getting DeAndre Hunter back from his injury, so the Hawks will look to have a second half of the season push to get a higher seed in the playoffs. They now sit at the 5 seed with 29 games left in the season. And 9 out of the Mavericks. Although they had a rough start to the season, the Mavs are coming back to form. They are beginning to shoot the ball better, and that spacing is making all the difference. Luka can be Luka, and he can use more of his brilliant playmaking. The Mavericks are looking much brighter, and will look to make a playoff push in the second half of the season. Luka will be trying to get his name back in the MVP conversations. They had a spectacular win against the Blazers the other day. With AD out, the Lakers have still looked great, although now that LeBron is injured, it is scary for them. The Lakers have looked poor without him so far, and I would not be surprised if they dropped significantly. However, they have not played enough basketball for me to drop them more yet. At number 7, I have Denver. Even with the inconsistencies of players like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., Jokic's MVP form has propelled the Nuggets to the 5th seed in the West. Jokic is doing everything for them, from scoring to rebounding to playmaking. However, they are too dependent on the one player. At number six, I have the Clippers. The Clippers have gone under the radar this season after the disaster in the bubble. PG and Kawhi have had good seasons, but they lack the same in the same areas that they did last year. The Clippers lack a true point guard, and the offseason loss of Montrezl Harrell has really, really been felt. While on paper, the great individual performances and efficiency looks great, the Clippers have had awful clutch metrics. They have the worst net rating in the league in the clutch, which almost seems like they're destined for another playoff collapse. And number five out of the Suns. We expected CP3 to make an impact, but the man has elevated the Suns from a lottery team to a contender. 
the point guard has the Suns working like a well-oiled machine, with them having the third best net rating in the league. The Suns team seems like it's constructed for the offseason, as it has very few holes. Players like Mikhail Bridges provide great spacing and defense, while players like Sarge, Payne, and Johnson act like spark plugs off the bench. The Suns are a scary team to watch. And number four, I have the Bucks. Although they had a slow start, the Bucks are playing much better now. Middleton and Holiday are not playing at their usual levels, and the defense has been poor under Budenholzer. However, Giannis has been going up. The man is, is back to his MVP form, showing swagger on the court, while also getting it done. In his recent clutch performances, he's done it all. Score, defend, playmake. If the Bucks play like this, they're much more diverse. They're a much more diverse team in the playoffs. No Embiid and Simmons' knee soreness, yet the Sixers are still getting wins. Harrison Curry have been going off with Matisse Thibault playing like a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Like with the Suns, the Sixers are a scary team who are deep with few holes. It will be interesting to see what they do in the next few weeks without their MVP candidate. And number two, I have the Utah Jazz. Without their traditionally stellar shooting, the Jazz are beginning to look vulnerable with tough losses to the Warriors and Wizards in the last week. Donovan Mitchell has lost his playmaking touch and the Jazz have struggled from it. While still a great team, the legitimacy of their contender label has to be put under discussion. If they can shoot the three well, then the Jazz are probably the best team in the league. But if they go cold, then there's a real issue. KD has been out for a while, yet the Nets are amazing. Although he had a poor performance in the loss against the Magic, Harden has cemented himself as an MVP candidate. The playmaking scoring backward of Kyrie and Harden is superb and is carrying the Nets twins, even without a solid frontcourt. While they still do have liabilities on defence, we have never seen an offence as talented as this one, with two of the best four scorers of all time on one team. If the Nets don't win this year, it is a huge disappointment. Now, Ben Canwell will give us his top candidates for the major awards, and we will discuss them. Hello everyone, my name is Ben Cantwell and I will be giving you all the March update for the NBA award races. So let's dive right on in. The first and most important award, the Kia MVP award, has changed hands quite considerably this month, with Philadelphia centre Joel Embiid getting injured and Lakers star LeBron James also suffering a minor injury. In first place is Denver centre Nikola Jokic, who is averaging 27 points per game with 11 rebounds and just under 9 assists. He is shooting just under 57% from the field and 41% from three. Next, a new entry into the top three. We have Portland guard Damian Lillard, who is averaging a staggering 30.6 points per game with four and a half rebounds and just under eight assists. Shooting 45% from the field and an impressive 39% from three, considering the volume of shooting. And in third place, rising rapidly up the ranks, is Milwaukee forward Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is averaging 29 points per game, with just under 12 rebounds and 6 assists. On top of this, Giannis is recording 1.3 steals per game and 1.3 blocks per game, while shooting 56% from the field and a lackluster 29% from three. That tops off the key MVP race for the month of March. Going to hand it over to you guys for the discussion. Uh, so I'll, I'll go first. I think Giannis is my MVP. MVP isn't like an offensive player of the year award. It, it, it counts for everything. And Giannis can do everything. Giannis is that team's primary playmaker. He's their primary scorer. And he's their best defender. And if you look at their clutch performances, Giannis isn't just making those tough shots. 
He's also blocking shots. He's getting steals. He's doing everything like that. He's being a real floor general leader. So I think he deserves it again. But voter fatigue might take it away from him. Well, Jamie, I have to, I have to disagree with you on that. Uh, my MVP is definitely LeBron James. Uh, in my opinion, he got robbed last year. It was a disgrace. He got robbed last year. Giannis did not deserve it. I think LeBron, even though the Lakers it's ended it as well. I know. I'm getting to that, Ben. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, give me a second. Even though the Lakers aren't doing as well as they did last year, while LeBron is still putting up outstanding numbers at the age of 36. Uh, he has the most triple doubles this season by, no, not the most triple doubles. No. Pretty sure that's Nicole Jokic. Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready? Uh, he is the he's the oldest player uh, at 36 years of age, as I said before, to uh, log back-to-back triple doubles. Um, he was an All-Star captain again this year, which he has been for the last previous years. And yeah, I mean, other other than that, I think Le- LeBron is definitely my MVP for this year, even with his injury. Uh, triple doubles. Oh. I, I have to I have to agree with Jamie with uh, going with Giannis. Uh, I think, he, as like Jamie said, most of my points, he's been playing really well for the box, And, uh, you know, like maybe he, he might need to get his three-point three percentage up a bit. But even still, he's playing really well. Attack and defense for that team. And he's MVP for me this year. I think you're all sleeping on Damian Lillard, the most clutch player in the NBA. He's also putting up massive numbers on good efficiency. But I will move on to the Rookie of the Year, unless there's anyone else with any other points. Uh, yeah, I, th- I just need to argue with Tom real quick here. And so in, in the second most important award race, the Rookie of the Year, things were becoming more interesting, with the top three becoming more competitive as we continue through the season. This was prior to the uh, Lamelo Ball's injury, of course. So in first place was Lamelo Ball, as he continued to top the rankings, as he averaged an outstanding 16 points per game, with six rebounds and six assists, shooting 45% from the field, and a high three-point percentage of 37% for a rookie. Next, in second place, was Anthony Edwards, who at the time was knocking at Lamelo's heels as he continued the great run of performances. He now averages just under 17 points per game with four assists and only two and a half rebounds, shooting a below average 38.5% from the field and just under 32% from three. And finally, in third place, Emmanuel quickly was taken advantage of Tyler Tyrese Halliburton's recent poor performances to snatch the third place position back, recording 12.8 points per game with 2.3 rebounds and 2.4 assists, shooting just under 40% from the field and 36% from three. However, this has all changed in recent days as news has emerged that Lamelo Ball has suffered a fractured wrist injury and will be out for the remainder of the season. It's still unclear what this means for the Rookie of the Year award, but depending on the performances of Anthony Edward and Tyrese Halliburton, it looks like they will be the eventual winners unless they don't come up with something special. What do you guys think? Okay, so Ben, thanks for that. Well, personally, Lamella's still number one for now for me, and he's played over half of the season for the Hornets, so I still feel like he could bag it just based on how great he was. Like, I mean, if Anthony Edwards puts it on, gets some more great performances, and maybe gets a few wins for the Timberwolves, he might get it. But that Timberwolves team is just so bad at the moment. Like I don't, I don't think he should be in the 
conversation above Emmanuel quickly or Tyrese Halliburton because they're much more efficient and I feel like they do more in the court. Like the only reason Edwards has such good stats is because he gets so many shots and he's not even efficient with them. To give you an important statistic, um, if Lamelo Ball wins uh, the Rookie of the Year award this season, he will be uh, the first rookie since Patrick Ewing to like play the least amount of games in a season. He would have played 57% of the season. And the last rookie to play that few games and still win Rookie of the Year was Patrick Ewing, who averaged like over 20 points and nearly 10 rebounds. So it would be it would be out of the ordinary, but it could happen. Yeah, I, I don't agree with Jamie saying that Lamella could still get it. I think he was definitely, for me, he was definitely going to get it. That's really unfortunate that he's fractured his wrist. I don't think he's going to get it now. Like, he, what did Jamie say? He's only just played over half the season. I don't think that's enough. I think, for me, it's Anthony Edwards. Jamie was saying stuff about his uh, efficiency, but I still think he's been playing really well, and he could definitely win Rookie of the Year for me. Yeah, well, maybe for all you many good points, I, I will choose Emmanuel quickly. However, I do think Emmanuel quickly is the rookie of the year, no matter what. Uh, maybe I'm slightly biased towards being a Knicks fan, but I'm, I'm very happy that a player that's almost drafted in the second draft, he was drafted 20, 25th uh, in last year's draft. I'm very happy that a player um, that almost got drafted in second is doing so well for uh, a rebuilding team as the Knicks themselves. I do think uh, with LaMelo being out um, in a couple couple, couple, couple more games, a couple more weeks, he won't be in contention. As Jamie said, the, the Timberwolves, are, they, just, they just can't figure themselves out right now. They don't know if they're rebuilding, selling, trying to, trying to bring in new players. Um, the other guy, I have no clue who he is. So he's out of the equation no matter what. So... Yeah, Emmanuel quickly. Emmanuel quickly for rookie of the year. Mark my words. Thank you very much. Um, next, I'm going to move on to the Defensive Player of the Year award, which is a close competition with Ben Simmons topping the ladder, closely followed by Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz and Miles Turner, who is averaging the most blocks in the league. Um, the statistics don't really give a full picture of defense. You have to go into quite a lot of the advanced possession shares and all that. And I don't think we have the time nor the interest in doing that. But um, another interesting statistic is to know that TJ McConnell also leads the league in steals. So what do you think, lads? Is it going to be Ben Simmons, Rudy Gobert, or Miles Turner? Uh, personally, I'd include Lou Dort up there. Uh, I'd put it between like maybe Lou Dort and Ben Simmons. Because like I said earlier, there's much more kind of like zone defense, much more kind of help defense in the league today. I feel like that inflates the stats of many players who are just big wingspan. I think we need to go back to looking at some of the percentages of players when they're defended by great on-ball players on the perimeter, like Lou Dort or Ben Simmons. Is it fair to say that you're biased because you're an OKC fan? I mean, did you guys see that Lou Dort block on John Wall to win the game? Oh, so we're looking at individual blocks? Well, I'm also looking at Lou Dort's performances against some of the greatest players in the league, some of the greatest players in history, such as James Harden, LeBron James, holding them to like really, really, really low field goal percentages, even Damian Lillard. If we look at that, we should look at Andrew Wiggins, who's arguably doing the exact same thing, but we're not talking about him. The only reason to talk about Lou Dort is because you're an OKC fan. Um, yeah, but we can talk about Andrew Wiggins, man. Well, what do you want to I say think, about Andrew Wiggins? Personally, I think Miles Turner is because despite getting injured and missing a good few games because of his hand injury, he's still leading the league in blocks, which is absolutely phenomenal. 
And Rudy Gobert gets a lot of praise, but I feel like Miles Turner really exploded this season and to not give him Defensive Player of the Year because he's given the Pacers such an immense defensive impact. It would be unfair to not give it to him at this moment in time. But is Defensive Player of the Year about blocks or is it steals or do you have to have a combination of the two? That's why Ben Simmons is so out there. That's true as well. No, that's a good Good point as well. That's just, I, I feel like Miles Turner is definitely up there, but like, I'd be happy to listen to a few points. Yeah, I think if we're talking pure defender in the league, not even just about the award, Ben Simmons is easily the best pure defender in the league, given that he can guard every single position on the court, yeah. one through one, five two, three, with ease, and is fast and everything. Great perception. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And finally, the most improved award looks like it'll be a clear winner, but the runners up will be a different matter. Leading the charge is breakout all-star New York Knicks forward Julius Randle, who is averaging nearly 23 points per game, 11 rebounds and 6 assists on good good shooting splits. Then, after Randle, it becomes confusing, as earlier on in the season, we would have predicted Christian Wood, the Houston Rockets forward, to be in the top three, but injuries and poor performances have derailed his case for most improved. The next breakout star, however, will be Detroit Pistons forward Jeremy Grant, who is averaging an astonishing yet slightly inflated 23 points per game with five rebounds and close to three assists. And in third place, a surprise player, someone who's played at all-star level for quite some time, but has really improved outside of points per game, is Zach Levine, who just gets on this list simply because of his huge increase in his efficiency. He is currently putting up 28.3 points per game with five rebounds and five assists, while shooting a league high for guards 53% from the field, and just under 44% from three. What do you guys think? Okay, so I think we can all agree Julius Randle is uh, pretty much a clear winner in this situation. The main, he's made his team better, and the impact he has on the court is great. But I'd like to mention Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And before you say it's because you're an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, I need to tell you some stats, okay? He averages uh, more points, more assists, more rebounds on this Oklahoma City Thunder team with better efficiency. So he's better all around the board. And this Oklahoma City Thunder team is better than everyone expected. Now, I think he's very much out of the contention since he's now gotten injured. But before that, the level he was playing at, he was definitely, he definitely should have made the All-Star game at least. Yeah, he was definitely an All-Star caliber player, but it's a popularity contest at the end and not many people were voting for him. And But definitely Julius Randle, he improved over the last few seasons, but he's also improved his team. Like, I feel like the Knicks are in a playoff position at the moment, 100%. Well, well we are. We're, we're going to make the playoffs. It's, it's, it's a fact. Also, J- Jamie, the, the Thunder are 19 and 25. Yeah, and in games Shea Gilchrist-Alexander's played, they've been pretty good. Shea Gilchrist-Alexander's also shooting 50% from the field and 41% from three, Tom, with 80% from the free throw line. You do have to be on a, more of a winning team, though. Really. But, he's, but you mentioned Jeremy Grant. He's on one of the worst teams in the league, as in the top three. But he's a huge breakout star where Shea, Shea Gilgis-Alexander has already been playing at a high level. Yeah. To this yeah. League. But like the man, he's improved on better efficiency uh, while taking a different role on in the team, especially with that Chris Paul, especially also on the youngest team in the league. Because That's true, yeah. Are they the youngest team in the league? I didn't know that. They had the second youngest lineup ever the other day uh, with an average age of 21 years old, younger than the Oklahoma Sooners college team in March Madness. Yeah, yeah, there was that. It was like the average age was 21, and then the average age on the OKC team was like 20 or something. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, that's all the awards we have for today. Um, thank you very much for listening. I'm Ben Cantwell, and see you later. Thank you, Ben. That was a great, great talk there. Now we will go on to Matthew Heckman, who will talk us there through some of the trades and the top trade targets with the trade deadline approaching. Hello, I'm Matthew Heckman, and today I'll be listing a few players who I'm interested in, and I'm really looking forward to what happens with them at the end of the trade deadline. As of recording, the trade deadline is tomorrow, so there's a lot of tension and a lot of pressure on teams to get good players. So I'll start off right off the bat but with Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon is a power forward for the Orlando Magic and is often underappreciated in my opinion and often underappreciated around the league. But this season, a lot of teams are looking forward. For example, the Nuggets, the Blazers, the Warriors, Rockets, and the Timberwolves. The Blazers are interested in Gordon to play Draymond Green-like role. What do you think about that, Jim? Uh, yeah, I think Aaron Gordon's being eyed up by a lot of these teams because they need someone in his role and he'd be pretty easy to get given that the Magic are looking to rebuild. They've all, These teams have also kind of been looking at John Collins, but John Collins does have a higher price tag to effectively yeah. been doing the same thing. And Aaron Gordon has also said he wants out and he wants to go to a winning place. So I think it would be a great situation. The Celtics are also a prime contender to land Aaron Gordon and I think that would be an amazing spot for Gordon to develop as a player and to go on to a contending team with Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown those three players alone on the front court and you can put Jason Tatum at the three and then put Aaron Gordon at the four and you have a really tough offensive four who can still hold it down defensively if he went to the Celtics it would be a really big game changer in the east I think anyway um, the next player we have on the list is Lonzo Ball. Um, I think he's a really big X factor and a potential starter for most teams. Um, he's definitely not in the long-term plans of Pelicans of, of the Pelicans, so he will most likely be traded. And he's looking for a twenty million dollar contract per year. Uh, the following teams are interested: the Knicks, the Nuggets, the Hawks, and the Warriors. The Warriors will be mentioned a lot during this because they have Kelly Oubre on the list, who is a good asset. Uh, the Nuggets are offering Bol Bol uh, per Elysian Hoops, which is kind of interesting. Um, the Knicks are offering Mitchell Robinson. And the Hawks, with the most kind of convincing one, are willing to move Cam Reddish and other pieces for Ball. So I'm not too sure specifically where he'll land, but it's going to be interesting and it's going to definitely benefit the team that ever lands him. Who do you think he would fit on the best, in your opinion? So what I'd like to say like about Lonzo Boy is it's very likely that he might go to um, Atlanta, but I think that's just a really stupid trade for Atlanta to make. Atlanta had, I think, the sixth pick in this year's draft, and they passed up on Therese Halliburton um, to get Aneka Okongu, when Tyrese Halliburton would effectively be playing the exact same role that Lonzo Ball would be playing, who they're looking to trade for. So I think that's just sheer stupidity by them this year's draft. They made a lot of questionable decisions this offseason. But just to say something, we have a Woj bomb right now. Oh. Nikola Vucevic has been traded from the Orlando Magic to the Chicago Bulls for what? Wendell Carter Jr. and two first-round picks. Oh, my what? God. Oh, my God. I thought he was that happy is... on the magic. My and God. And Lonzo also has to get paid a bag this year. 
the Bulls are really going for the wow. for the playoffs. And imagine the pick and imagine the pick and roll and the pick and pop with Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, who's a good like solid three point shooter from the top of the three. That will be an offensive machine next season. They're also Jimmy sending Otto Porter. Jimmy, how many picks did they get? Uh, two first round picks: Otto Porter and Wendell Carter Jr. That's unfortunate. They had to give up Wendell Carter Jr. because he was a good defensive pick. He's yeah. getting paid next this year, though. I'd, I'd argue that so. he's not because Wendell Carter Jr. was never in their finishing five for the game. They'd always play a different player because Wendell Carter Jr., although he has great effort on defense, he can't guard the biggest big. So if you look at players like Joel Embiid, he was dominating them when he played them. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about the Knicks trying to trade Mitchell Robinson. I know Mitchell Robinson has to get. Uh, his contract's up, so he has to get paid uh, much more than what he previously did on his rookie contract. But so does Lonzo Ball. So I think, like Jamie said, I think that trade for the Knicks is not the best trade at all because they're giving up possibly, I mean, their they're, they're best big and probably top three players on the team for Lonzo Ball, who in my, in my opinion is uh, significantly overrated. And uh, he hasn't, isn't, isn't better than most of the guards in the league. So I, like Jamie said, I think that's a very bad trade for the Knicks. I agree with you, Tom. I think uh, Lonzo Ball can be quite streaky. Um, his three-point shooting was pretty good at the start of the season, but it's obviously fallen off and quite a lot. And um, if you're just looking for someone who can throw alley oops up to Julius Randle, you could get that with anyone. And Emmanuel Quickly's floater. Floaters are so good that they could be alley-oops, so I completely agree. I think it's fair to say, though, that Lonzo Ball has developed a lethal three-point shot, and I think there's a good statistic that shows that he actually has more three-pointers than Jason Tatum, and maybe even Trey Young. I'll search that. Yeah, I think he's knocked them down at a high percentage as well, and some of the top players in the league. Which so he definitely won't be a liability on any team. He definitely wouldn't be a liability. He'd be a good thing to I have. Know, but on he's any always team. a hit or miss, though. I mean, he's—you never know if he's consistently perform. I mean, I mean, you can have a really good game where he gets steals, gets assists, gets get like like I mean, um. Hector he is said, a pass first guard, but he can yeah. shoot three and play defense. And I think any team would value that. But I do understand that Mitchell Robinson is a big asset to give away from the Knicks, and I think exactly. the Knicks should re-sign him, definitely. Yeah. Um, so next on the list, I have DeMar DeRozan. So there are talks of DeMar DeRozan being traded from the Spurs and two teams are offering. So the Lakers, they now the Lakers have Montrez Harrell, Dennis Schroeder and Contavious Caldwell-Pope on the table for trade talks with a lot of teams. Now, I think if the Lakers were to pursue DeMar DeRozan, they could easily get him. No biggie because Schroeder and Montrez Harrell are kind of in their 20s, they're young, and the Spurs are looking to rebuild. And I think that'll be a really good trade for the Spurs, in my opinion, coming from a Spurs fan. And then the second team interested are the Magic, who are offering Evan Fournier and the first round pick. And and, and Avery, I'm not sure what you're set up now, but what are your opinions on that? Uh, DeMar DeRozan is on an expiring contract this year. Uh, and the way he's been playing, he's probably going to get paid. So I think it's unlikely for him to go to a team like the Lakers, who already have 
less cap space and then want to have to pay him more next year, especially when he's his age. But he'd definitely be good. he definitely elevate some teams from maybe like out on the edge, maybe like nearly contenders to contenders. Like, be a very solid pick. If I'm the Spurs front office, I'm taking that Lakers trade any day of the week. Um, Evan Fournier, although although he's been very good, he's been very productive. He is, I think, his stats have been kind of inflated because he's on like um, a selling, a rebuilding team that just hasn't been doing well in the Magic. And if you take the the young core, Montres Harrell, um, KCP, and uh, and um, Dennis Dennis Schroeder, I would take that any day of the week over Evan Fournier and Turambe. And I feel like the magic trade wouldn't happen anymore, seeing as Nikola Vucevic just went to the Bulls there. Yeah. And like, if they were to get DeMar DeRozan, it would sure it would help them regular season, but it wouldn't get them deep into the playoffs without any help. So I feel like, yeah. So DeMar DeRozan is up for trading, but he could get re-signed potentially. We'll have just we'll just have to see for tomorrow. The next yeah. player is going to be interesting, which is Kyle Lowry. So per Woj, the Lakers are pursuing with the same players and the Heat are the most prominent place he's going to land. So the Heat have offered Duncan Robinson, Precious Achua and Kelly Olenek. But the Raptors have specifically asked Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson in any trade to do with Larry. I think this is interesting. I'd like to know what your thoughts are. Yeah, there's there's no way the Heat could go through in that trade. Um, also, I've heard that the Raptors, that was where Kyle Lowry wants to get paid $50 million. It's a really big new, contract. Yeah. His new contract, which is a huge contract. So for any team to look at that and go, I'm going to take up, you know, $15 million, $20 million of cap space for Kyle Lowry. I, I don't think that. Um, I think, in my opinion, the Raptors should just let him go to free agency unless he's restricted. If he's restricted then they should trade him. But if he's unrestricted, they should just let him go to free agency. You get all that cap space and be able to rebuild. But I can see where they're trying to get Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, but I don't think the Heat are going to trade both of them. Duncan Robinson, lethal three-point shooter, as well as Tyrell Hero, who can play maker, who can play make as well. So that's uh, what, I mean. what, I'd, what I'd like to say on that is the Raptors are really looking to get rid of him and Norman Powell probably. I don't see a reality where they both of them don't get traded. Kyle Lowry thinks for sure gone. He brings that championship DNA and brings that playmaking to many teams that could need it. Maybe he might go to Philadelphia. That's also been a possible trade target. He returns home to Philadelphia, where he's originally from, and allows Ben Simmons to play the four, something like that. Or somehow the Clippers try to work a trade because they are in need of a player like Kyle Lowry, but I'm not sure on how they would do that logistically. Yeah, I know definitely a lot of teams interested in Kyle Lowry. He is one of a kind player and arguably one of the best Raptors to ever play the game. But uh, we have just like maybe two or three more players that just be kind of interested in. So JJ Redick and the Pelicans are expected to reach a buyout with the Nets. Uh, JJ Redick is an experienced playoff shooter who would no doubt benefit them. And I think last year he broke his long streak of not being in the playoffs, which is rough. And then Oladipo will definitely be traded tomorrow by sources and major suitors include the Warriors, the Heat, the Knicks, and the Pistons. 
do people think that Oladipo is a liability because of his lackluster performance, or do they think that he would definitely benefit a team like the Knicks, Heat, Warriors, or Pistons? I think if Oladipo goes to the Knicks, they're uh, a much, much better team, and I think they could even keep him. I don't really see the sense of him going to the Warriors, but to the Knicks, I think he fits well with the culture. Tom Thibodeau loves a player like Oladipo. I feel like Oladipo, when he gets to a place where he really, really wants to play, he'll be back to his old form. He's a great defensive player and can really light it up when he needs to. Yeah, I agree with Jamie on that Knicks thing uh, about the defense and such. But in my opinion, uh, we're we're very guard heavy. I know we've traded some of them and I feel like we have too many. I mean, even RJ Barrett, who's playing small forward. I mean, he was labeled as a shooting. Was he labeled as a shooting guard in the draft? I think he was. If he wasn't, then I'm wrong. But I think we're way too guard heavy. And even though Victor Oladipo brings that that top that lockdown defense, in that if and if like Heisman said, if he doesn't get that lock on, if he doesn't you know play bad and actually put a little bit of effort for a team he likes to play, then he could be a very valuable asset. But right now, I don't think. The Knicks need him. I mean, we're doing great right now anyways, but and we're not exactly, you know, pushing for a championship. We're not trying to make, I mean, we're, we are trying to make the playoffs, but, you know, that's not, you know, we're really, that's not like the, the goal. Just, I mean, obviously the goal is to make the playoffs, but we're not, you know, no matter what, we're going to make the playoffs no matter what. So we're not even at that stage yet. I think we're still almost rebuilding, trying to bring our team back up, get a couple draft picks, keep our young guys, develop them. So I don't think we need a, a lockdown are a definite guard right now in order to make the playoffs. That's my opinion. Yeah. As a Miami fan, the maximum I would want to give up to get Victor Oladipo would be maybe Kendrick Nunn and a second round pick. Anything above that, I don't think it'll be worth it if he doesn't re-sign back in Miami and he wants to get paid. It just wouldn't be worth it. But if you were able to get him for that kind of a, a trade, I think his defense, of course, and just being productive and taking the load off Jimmy Butler and Bam and Abaya would just help kind of make us contending teams. Speaking of the Heat, this isn't too recent, maybe an hour ago, but the Miami Heat are offering Duncan Robinson for Tyler uh, for Kyle Lowry, but not Tyler Hero. So that's unlikely that trade is going to go through. So that's extra interesting about what's going to happen with Kyle Lowry and where he's going to end up. If there's any other players we'd like to discuss, I am all out. Uh, that's me. I'm Matthew Heckman. I'm back to Jamie with you. Yeah, I I think it would just be interesting to know on the team side, not necessarily for players. I think the Celtics and the Heat are going to be big buyers for tomorrow because they're missing pieces and they 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 got so close to that kind of that championship last season that I think they really want to get back there. So I think they'll be big buyers this offseason, given that they have that instilled in them. But um, yeah, if no one has anything else to say, uh, I think that's it for today's show. So. We thank you for listening to our Black Art College Basketball Podcast from Jamie, Tom, Luke, Ben, Josh, Connor, Matthew, and Joe. We hope you have a great day.